This is the Empowered Athlete Podcast, episode 36. We are thrilled to welcome the captain of the Canadian Rugby Sevens team, Harry Jones, to today's podcast. Harry has played over 280 matches for Canada, scoring over 700 points, and is currently touring with the team on the HSBC World Rugby Seven series. He's an incredible athlete, but more importantly, an incredible guy. We are so excited to have him on the show. Let's get to the conversation. All right, everyone, the 1230 challenge, that's 12 months of 30-day challenges for the entire year, 2019 for Kari and I, continues in April, and this one is a special one for us. It has to do with the environment and taking care of it and making the world a better place. And the way to do that is to avoid the use of single-use plastics. I personally think this might be the hardest challenge of the entire year as plastics are so invasive they're in every part of our lives. And in starting this challenge, we know it is gonna be tough. So we're determined to make it happen. Here's what we're gonna do. We are committing to trying to not buy or bring any single-use plastics into our home, make every effort to use something different than single-use plastic. And if we have used any single-use plastics in the month, we're gonna collect it and post in the group a picture of everything that we use just to get a feel of what's really going on. Now, I've gone grocery shopping with Maeve recently, our youngest, and it was a massive challenge looking at things that we could buy that didn't involve plastics. So we're getting creative with bringing our own bags to the grocery store and special netted bags for all the produce, looking at things that come in glass containers or jars, and anything that's tin, canned, or in paper as well. So this is a massive one. Easy things that you can do. Use a reusable water bottle coffee cup and if you do need a straw make sure it's a metal one so that is the challenge for april eliminate the use of single-use plastics join the group in the show notes and help us make the world a better place let me take you back to the summer of 2008 it was my first summer not playing for the national team i had it off and i got to train the entire summer with kari on a specifically made program That was tailored to me, my injuries, my body, and my goals for that next upcoming season. And I was 34 years old. Well, the result went back over to Turkey and won a European Cup in incredible physical condition. Thank you to that program setting me up for the perfect season. Well, now you have access to the exact same thing. Hit email ks at empowerconditioning.com. That's ks for Kari Schneider and get started on one of Kari's incredible online training programs. The program is tailored to you. It has video of each exercise you're doing so you know what you're doing. Your reps are laid out, the sets are laid out. You can't go wrong. Reach out now to reach your best. Welcome to the Empowered Athlete Podcast, created to support athletes in their pursuit of excellence and inspire others toward their best lives. Hosted by Kari Schneider coach to top performers in sport and life, and Paul Durden, former national and professional volleyball player. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Empowered Athlete Podcast. It is a big show today. We've got a big guest. He's the captain of the Rugby Sevens team for Canada. He's played over 280 matches wearing the Maple Leaf, scoring over 700 points, 110 tries, a veteran of the World Rugby 7 Series. It is none other than Harry Jones. Welcome to the show, Harry. Hey, thanks for having me. 
We're really thanks for excited. making the time. Yeah, we're yeah. really excited to have you here. You're about to travel, aren't you? Yeah, we leave tomorrow. I think our flights uh, are going to be at the airport around 6.45 in the morning. So straight off to Hong Kong and then Singapore after that. Awesome. Are so the bags packed? The bags are half packed. We had training today, so it's kind of that awkward. I can't really pack until I get those clothes cleaned up and ready to go. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm, I'm almost there. I hated that as a player, knowing trips are coming up and wanting a certain pair of shoes dry yeah. for a long trip. <laughs> and it was literally, the, the, I put them on top of the bag and stuff them in the morning or something, but terrified to forget them as well. So I have, yeah, I have anxiety every time I travel that I'm forgetting. I always feel like I'm forgetting something. I've been doing this for almost uh, over 10 years now, I guess. So. And if you guys were to forget something, what would it be? Oh, uh, like... Like, <laughs> like phone charger or, you yeah. know, something yeah. that doesn't really matter too much. Because literally what I do is I go, okay, if I have rug rugby boots and a passport, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm good to go. Because that's all you realistically you can make do with, with a, without anything else. So I, still, yeah. I don't know why I still get nervous that I forget something, but uh, I guess it's just part of it all. You're, you're basically a pro packer by now. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. We, we I, like, I, like, uh, I like rolling my clothes. It's just kind of a weird, okay. weird little Roller. thing. Yep. It's just, you know, a lot, a lot more efficient for the use of space in the, in the briefcase. So. Absolutely. It's the whole, there's a Marie Kondo, a Kondo or Kondo <laughs> thing going on right now. So. Are you sparking joy every time you pack? That's right. <laughs> yeah. Does wow. this spark joy? No. No. <laughs> so, oh, so you have, you've accomplished a lot so far in your career. Take us back to what got you into rugby. how did you get started? Um, to be honest, it was my two older twin brothers who originally started playing. They're two years older than me, and uh, I was basically just trying to play every sport that they played. I just looked up to them, and you know they're so good at everything they did. And so we played soccer, baseball, basketball, uh, wrestling, like volleyball, like everything. And um, and then rugby kind of came uh, came into the picture in grade seven, grade eight. I played with the Capilano Rugby Club, and then uh, with Rockridge. Uh, uh, high school and my brothers my brother started it off and then I was just kind of following in their footsteps they were both just kind of um, stars of their grade and um, I was kind of in their shadow for a while and um, and uh, yeah just trying to keep up with them more or less when when were you exposed to sevens for the first time for the first it's fun, that's a funny story actually because we had uh, there was a high school sevens and there'd be one tournament a year that you could play in. And I actually never got to play in it because there was some age grade uh, BC and Canada um, stuff that I was lucky to go on. So I missed, and that was for 15. So I missed all the seven stuff in high school. And my first exposure to sevens was actually in 2008. Um, I went to the Wellington sevens with the Canadian men's team. And, Sorry, that, uh, that was your first exposure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, because wow. in, yeah. in my notes, I have that the first time you were with the National Sevens team was at the Wellington Sevens. Yeah. But I didn't realize that was your first time exposed to Sevens. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy because, um, yeah, I missed all the high school <sighs> stuff. And then um, there was the University Sevens as well. But I uh, that hadn't happened yet. So I was in my first year at university. I remember the day I was walking to anthropology class and I got called by the uh, – the Canadian coach and he basically asked if I was if I was <laughs> a able and willing to fly to Wellington in you know a few weeks from that point and uh 
and I just turned around. I didn't even go to class. I just went home, <laughs> called, called, called my dad, and I was just so excited. Like, I'll never forget the moment. So it was uh, – and, yeah, went on the trip. Um, didn't play too much. Got a couple minutes in each of the games. Uh, and it was just, you know, I was just kind of – uh, just starstruck a bit, you know, deer in the headlights almost with, you know, it was just back then that Wellington tournament, I think they sold out, I think it was a 50,000 uh, capacity stadium and they sold out that year in seven minutes online. So that's how, oh, that's it. yeah, God. it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, and uh, so I just kind of got thrown at the deep end, but it was, you know, super exciting. And uh, I was just, you know, first year university and it was 18 at the time or something like that. So it was pretty exciting. So, um, for the listeners, just because, you know, sevens has become more and more popular, especially since the Olympics, but describe for the listeners the difference between sevens and fifteens, because it's such a profound difference. And this is what I think is key, because from an athlete perspective, it's, it's a different beast to play fifteens and play sevens. It requires different energy systems. It requires a different level of athleticism. So describe a sevens match and, and some of the differences. Yeah, I get, I get asked this question a lot, both, you know, which, what do I like more sevens or 15s? And also, you know, what are the differences? And I, my view is that, and I, a lot of people share the same view is that sevens and 15s are two different sports. Exactly. Because it's just, you know, like you said, the physical attributes and the um, conditioning needs and the speed requirements and all that kind of stuff in sevens is different than 15s. I mean, not to say you have to be, you have to be crazy fit in 15s as well, but it's just a different, like you said, a different beast um, with sevens where it's, it's 14 minute games, whereas yep. 15s is 80 minute games. Uh, um, and by the name, most people can probably tell in 15s, it's 15 guys versus 15s, 15 guys. And in sevens, it's seven versus seven on the same size field. So you can imagine how much space there is, which re would require guys to be a bit quicker, have a really good step, um, and obviously have a lot of stamina to be able to go kind of full tilt for the full 14 minutes. And just what sport, and just this takes me back to your baseball, basketball, rugby, soccer, kind of growing up experiences. What was one of those other sports your first sport love? or And, and if so, how do you think it contributed to your um, ability in sevens? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, soccer was definitely my first love. Um, my dad's, my parents are from England. My dad's from uh, Liverpool um, and uh, he's a huge Liverpool. <laughs> still have his, still has his Scouse accent. And um, so I grew up watching, you know, early in the mornings, watching the soccer games all the time with my dad. And, uh, and that was my first sport that I really got into from a really young age. Um, and I didn't stop playing soccer until first year university where it was like, I had to make a decision between soccer and rugby and it wasn't really a decision because uh, rugby was taking me so much further. But um, uh, yeah, there are so many, so many uh, attributes that transfer over um, foot skills, you know, and I played a lot of 15s rugby and then kind of bounced over to sevens as well. And uh, you know, any type of kicking, um, would transfer over from soccer to soccer to rugby and just kind of just, you know, looking for space in soccer. I know it's a completely different sport, but you know, you're looking for space to be put through um, similar to kind of sevens where you're looking for that space where a guy might throw an offload or, you know, you're trying to step into a gap or something like that. Um, and then other sports like basketball and baseball, like hand-eye coordination, um, just moving into the you know, good spots. And I think overall just being, you know, any sport you're super competitive in and wanting to win. So that kind of pushes that drive as well. So, 
um, there's definitely a lot of attributes that transfer over. So and, uh, quick, I just want to jump in quick. You're 29 years old now. Yeah. What's your ideal playing weight for sevens? For sevens, it's right around like 92, 93 kg right now. And, and how uh, tall are kilograms. you? Uh, six one. Okay. So what size were you when you were 18 and playing a lot of soccer? Um, I was, I was probably the same height, probably just finishing kind of my, uh, growth spurt. I was probably, I mean, at 18, six, six foot, maybe six, one around there. And then I was probably about, um, like 190, 195. Um, yeah, Yeah, well, well, I'm, I guess I'll go back to kilograms. It'd probably be lower, like 80, you know, like 87, 88 kg. So probably about 10. 10, 15 pounds less, um, around there, just cause I was coming out of high school, um, still similar frame, just not a, as much muscle mass. Not yeah. filled um, out yet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, adds an extra about 10 pounds or something like that, but not, not too different. So one, one thing I was going to ask just with the, um, now that you're a little more seasoned with some of the younger guys coming in, some of the rookies, do you see that they're as, athletic as you were or as some of the older guys or do you find that they're um they have less of less experience with other sports just not as broad of a repertoire of movement patterns and skills what uh, what are you noticing with the younger guys or are they you know better than you were coming in like what what do you what do you find yeah so new newer guys coming in there's about a hand, probably a handful of four or five young guys that are up and comers right now um and as far as like skill set i think um some some of the guys uh still need a little bit of work on the basic skills just kind of catch pass that kind of thing which um which for me i was you know i was surrounded by a lot of good players and a lot of good coaches so that kind of got drilled into me really early um whereas i i don't think nowadays i don't think maybe they're playing as much rugby or maybe don't have as much exposure. Um, but, uh, you know, there are, you know, sevens is so much more prevalent nowadays. So they, they, there are opportunities for more tournaments. Uh, and you know, it isn't high school and provincial levels now, and it didn't really used to be. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, I don't know, from a, from a more experienced guy, I definitely do. And maybe this is me just being a salty older guy, but I definitely <laughs> do think that uh, some of the basic skills can, you know, literally just catch and pass and just a bit of awareness and uh, um, being, being more of a gamer, understanding the flow of the game uh, that comes with time. And so maybe it's, you know, I, I'd like to think that I had that when I came in, um, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm being a little bit naive. Uh, <laughs> It's funny to hear you say as a, cause you're, you're probably not quite 30 yet. Yeah. Just shy of 30. <laughs> so, so when you're, when you're thinking in terms of the span of your career, are you like rugby is one of the sports is so hard on the body. So are you thinking you've got how many more years in you playing national team? And, and, and here's the other question. Are you, what are your opportunities per, for pro right now or are you guys centralized what's happening that way um yeah so my my end goal to answer your first question is 2020 um originally ori originally it was 2016 and we went through a pretty rough patch with uh we had a great team but not a not a great coach and a 
poor team culture because of that. So we struggled quite a bit. Um, I think on paper we had the best team we've ever had, but we were playing some of the worst rugby we've ever played. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we went through a pretty tough time there, and I almost called it quits after uh, we missed the 2016 Olympics. Um, So after that, there was a coaching change, and uh, there's probably about four or five of our kind of better, like very good players uh, decided to move on move on with their lives. One or two of the guys went to 15s and two or three other guys uh, uh, ended up just retiring. Um, so I, after that, I hadn't really had a specific goal set. I decided to stick, stick around for another year and kind of see how things shook out. And we ended up having one of the best, if not the best year we've ever had. Uh, we won a World Series title, which has never been, never been done before. And um, so things definitely took a, took a quick turn in a positive, uh, in a positive way. And I kind of reset my goals to 2020, not too long after. Um, so that's kind of where, you know, whether or not my body could go longer, I'm not, I'm not too sure. I mean, you bring in things like concussions and different injuries and, you know, what, what I'll be feeling like in 10 years from now. Uh, so I'm fairly conscious of that and I want to be able to do things and enjoy things after I'm done playing rugby, not just kind of destroy my body and not be able to enjoy day-to-day life. Um, so I'm definitely very conscious of that. Um, and uh, yeah. And then I guess plans for after I'm kind of still up in the air and exactly what, exactly what I want to do. Um, I have a decent amount of schooling behind me and uh, uh, just looking at a few things in the real estate industry potentially. So, which is exciting, but I'm trying to keep my focus on obviously the process towards the 2020 Olympics. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, as Paul knows, and I know the, the next Olympic games, the, the next quad is always a, a lure and <laughs> something you, you just, you can't quite pass up sometimes. So it's, uh, yeah, it's <clears throat> part of the process, I guess. So, so when you're thinking of your career so far, what would you say is or are some of the the highest points, some of the greatest triumphs? What are your peak moments that you've really you're really proud of, or you know you are really notable in your mind? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny because the the number one thing for me is uh, our our win in Singapore. Just just based on the fact that a Canadian seven team had never done that before. Um, winning a world series title was, you know, that's other than a medal at the Olympics, that's kind of, you know, one of the best things we can do as a team. Um, so that was a really special moment. We shared it with, uh, you know, a great group of staff members and players. So that's something that lucky to have that for, you know, the rest of our rest of our lives. But at the same time, you know, we want, after we won that, we wanted more. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, so it, you know, it's definitely a contagious thing. And we've been through some ups and downs since just through our, how our program has been handled. But, uh, you know, we have, it's exciting because we have a squad that can do some really special things. Um, so definitely that Singapore win, the Pan Am gold in 2015 was awesome just because it was at home in Toronto. Like it was just, I mean, the Pan Ams isn't one of the, you know, one of the most recognizable top end tournaments, but, uh, it's, it's definitely up there, and it uh, it was the fashion that we did it as well because we had a bit did, of a shocker. Didn't you score the winning try? Uh, in the in the Argentina game, yeah, I did. I got uh, you know just right place, right time. I think um, in that one, but it was to get there was an even crazier story. We almost lost to Chile in the quarterfinals, which is you know that would have been a crazy upset, and uh, we ended up winning in the last play of the game and. 
the Chilean guy could have, he tried to kick the ball out of bounds and they would have ended up winning the game and it actually stayed in. <gasps> we were able to go back and get the ball. Oh, and we ended, we, ended up, we ended up scoring under, and we had to score under the post to tie it. And then we went to overtime and we ended up winning in overtime. Oh my gosh. And, yeah. And then uh, we went and beat uh, the States in uh, the semifinals. And then we played Argentina, um, which was also a pretty crazy finish where Nate, Nate Hiriyama, our, our playmaker, kicked a ball, like a little chip and chase for me in the corner. And I ended up getting it and got over the line, which was with the, with the home crowd kind of screaming and stuff was a, was a really special moment. Um, you know, the home tournaments are so much fun and to be able to win a medal there was, you know, and the, and the women's sevens team won gold as well on the, at that tournament. So it was just kind of, you know, a home, a home sweep for us, which was really cool. That is just fantastic it's... for the fans. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, oh, it was, yeah. It was awesome. It was awesome. Um, speaking, speaking of those home crowds, you, are just really coming off of the huge weekend in BC as the sevens tour made the stop there. Yeah. And I saw a ton of stuff online, caught a few of the games online and the crowd looked fantastic. Now what's been your impression of the following of sevens, the growth of the game in Canada specifically over the course of your career and the exposure that it's getting? Cause I, I have the feeling as an outsider that it's, seems to be gaining a lot of momentum, but maybe that was already there. I'm, I'm just ignorant to it. So maybe you could shed some light on what you've seen in terms of growth in the game. Yeah. Um, so growing up, you know, sevens, you know, are, like we spoke about before, what the Wellington sevens with the Canadian team was my first exposure to sevens. So it kind of shows where kind of where things have grown as far as exposure for younger kids to be able to play sevens um, and have kind of, stepping stones to get to the top level. Um, I still think there's, although sevens is all, definitely on the map in Canada now because of that tournament um, and also the, the women's Langford tournament as well, both teams are doing a great job to um, uh, increase the exposure of sevens, but I still think there's, I still think there can be so much to be, uh, there is so much to be done um, for the development from grassroots to, you know, kids in their early late teens um, and then, you know, getting into the BC and national levels as well. I still don't think the framework is quite there just because, uh, you know, it's always been a 15, 15s has always been the um, predominant game in Canada. Um, and now the ties, the ties aren't, aren't specifically turning, but I think their sevens is sevens has become, you know, a very realistic option for, you know, any rugby players to chase and, uh, and it's, it's it's exciting because I growing up I never sevens wasn't on the map for me. There was no Vancouver seven. There was no tournament in Vancouver um, or Canada for that matter. And there was um, there's no sevens in the Olympics as well. So mm -hmm. the draw to sevens wasn't really there. Um, looking back on it now, if I could be ten years younger and stall, start all over again, you know, it, it it's just it's just such an exciting time right now. I see some of these eighteen, nineteen, twenty year olds coming in to train with us, and you know that's it's a pretty cool time for them because not only do they have uh this opportunity to play at home in vancouver um they also have the opportunity not to play not just one you know maybe two three four olympic games um and that that is i think that's the draw and that's what's going to grow the game and has already yeah. ha, has already definitely grown the game across canada what are the uh what are the professional opportunities like for sevens um, as far as professional stuff, there isn't like the world series is, you know, the top, top level you can get to and for, and to be contracted at, um, there are sometimes there's one-off tournaments where you could get invited and get paid, uh, 
you know, a one-time, one-time payment for going to a tournament somewhere, but uh, you know, all the, any, any, any teams or players that are making a bit of money would be on the sevens world series, which is what we're on. So you see a lot of other teams like top teams, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, um, those teams have contracted players that uh, play sevens year in, year out. And you don't see a lot of, any, any, you used to see a lot of players jumping from sevens to fifteens and yeah. uh, and going pro, and you don't see it as much anymore. One because I think sevens players are have have started to get good contracts, but also that um, you know sevens is in the Olympics, and you can't really do both anymore. Yeah, you can't. I yeah. I used to jump yeah. from sevens to fifteens throughout the year, so you'd be on tour for you know six to eight months. A year bouncing back from fourth from sevens to fifteens and you could do it um you could do it back in the day but now i mean both both codes sevens and fifteens are so competitive that you need to specialize in in both yeah. so you're either a fifteens yeah. player or a sevens player so so sorry that that brings me to the question of like with with wins like pan ams or the world series title did did that affect funding did you did that increase the funding for the national team in Canada? Like what, what's happened that way? Uh, not really. We've been on a little bit of a ro roller coaster with funding and how the program's been handled, uh, to be honest with you. So we used to have quite a bit of Olympic funding and um, uh, our rankings never really changed too much. Much We we had our best one was, I think we were ended up ranked sixth place uh, and then ninth place. And we've kind of dipped down to 10th, 12th place uh a couple years ago and now we're right around that kind of 10th place mark and uh so we lost a little bit of uh funding from uh the olympic uh fund but uh and then also with this summer it was rugby canada wanted to kind of centralize uh both programs and have kind of 15s and 7s under one roof um which in my opinion isn't isn't the best way to go about it just because they're again like i've said they're two different games so right now we're kind of going going through a bit of a rebuilding phase where we don't have as much funding from the organization or uh outside sources as we usually do but we're literally just now starting to see um supporters come in and want to help us out financially and uh you know our performances uh have started to Kind of trend upwards again it seems like every year we kind of have to hit the we hit the restart button because of things going on out, outside of rugby but i i do honestly believe right now we're in uh we're trending in the dire right direction and we're starting to get some uh really great support from uh um from some people outside of the organization which is which is great and i think uh you know i think it's going to be a positive thing moving forward and uh, we have such a we have such a great team that you know I, I have without a doubt I, I know that we can win a medal at the Olympics if you know we can get the put these pieces together and uh, you know it's just that in itself is such an exciting thing so you know that's what you know that's what I'm in, invested and in, bought into for the next uh, year and a half. Yeah, it's it's clear. You, I mean, a couple of things you're saying are really landing with me that you believe in this group. You've mentioned more than once different teams you've been on and you didn't want to call another team tight-knit because you feel that the team now is really tight-knit mm -hmm. and you mentioned the specialization that's going on and you also quickly skimmed over last summer in the fall where you were actually outspoken and leading a protest about the way Rugby Canada was handling the sevens and the fifteens program so I was hoping you could share a little bit of that story with our listeners but the part that I think is really important for the athletes to hear from you uh, and this 
and Kari and I have gotten in this conversation with a lot of guests on this show about athletes not feeling comfortable to speak up. And it could be around being injured. It could be around mental struggles. It could be around disagreement with the system. But not having confidence in their position on a team or their role or their status and afraid to say anything that might rock the boat and jeopardize that. So you are in a unique position where you're captain, you're the vet, you could speak. Can you tell us about that dynamic, but also what the, the friction was about with Rugby Canada? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think the tides are turning as far as uh, players speaking up. You just see it happening more and more, not just on you know, on-field issues, but also things outside like mental struggles and stuff like that, which I think is great, you know. You know, the first step is is talking about it. And uh, on that note, I think that talking about it was one thing and, and the level of communication led to a lot of the problems that we had this past summer. Um, essentially, what happened was the uh, Rugby Canada, the 15s program, uh, which I support, fully support what they were trying to do as well, was they're trying to qualify for the 15s World Cup. And, uh, and you know, I love, I love 15s and I love the 15s program. Uh, I played in the 2015 15s World Cup um, with a lot of the boys that are still playing now. And uh, so a lot of the focus went on to the 15s group. The only problem was that the 7s uh, program was kind of notified very late, basically in August when, you know, we're supposed to start training at the start of September and, and sign contracts. So we, we found out about a massive change to the program where all players, all men's players were going to be training under one roof together, which... In, in my opinion, completely goes against, you know, being a professional player and, you know, playing either one sport, sevens or fifteens. I mean, nowadays you have to specialize like we spoke about before. Yeah. So it just right. wasn't, you know, from a personal standpoint, I know all my teammates share the same perspective is, you know, what's the point in, what's the point in turning up if you're just training two different sports, you know, and kind of it's almost waters things down for both both sides of it from the 15s and the sevens perspective. So um, that happened. And also there were some financial implications as well, where a, a lot of guys lost out on, on some, some money when they were expecting to have similar contracts for the next year. So all of this happened in a very, very short period of time. And I do honestly believe, and we've had conversations with rugby Canada where you know, they have agreed that, you know, the communication wasn't there and uh, none of the players were notified or let in on exactly what the plan was. Um, so it all kind of came crashing down at the end of the summer and it got to a point where all the play, a lot of the sevens players were basically like, okay, well, you know, even myself, I thought I was done to be honest. I thought I was going to retire because it just wasn't a kind of setup that I really believed in. And, um, and well, it wasn't conducive for success yeah. for either team yeah, for 15s it's, or sevens. It's not conducive for success. Yeah. And it just, uh, you know, it did, it did. Yeah. I just don't think the focus was right. And I don't think there was enough communication around it. I mean, if there had been, then we could have planned and prepared for it and um, maybe had got some outside help to, you know, fill some of the gaps that had been created. But um, uh, yeah, it was a really tough time. And I mean, I, I won't go into too many of the details, but you know, it was just, you know, we lost a few staff members and things just kind of, it just felt like our program got watered down, flipped upside down. And, you know, two years into a four-year Olympic cycle, it's, it's, it's frustrating to say the least. And uh, it's a key, key time. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a time when you want to be trending upwards, not having to, like I said before, restart at the start of the year. Um, yeah. 
So, yeah, it was difficult, but, um, you know, what it did do was it brought all the players together and we said, okay, well, look, we have we've got to make a decision here on what we want to do. You know, the program doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really scream success. So, you know, we basically stood up for what we believed in. We said, look, this isn't right. And, uh, you know, we think this should be a separate program. And uh, we stood by that. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely difficult at times, especially with some of the some of the young boys as well who, who had been outspoken, too, about, they, they see the future implications for themselves as well, because, you know, for me, I've, you know, at that point I had two, two years left max to 2020, but for some of these young guys, they have another 10 years left in their careers and some of them just getting started. So it was definitely, definitely an interesting situation, but our, our communication and transparency was super open and we just, you know, all made a decision together and what we wanted to do and had a lot of conversations about it and basically just stood up for ourselves and said, no, look, we, you know, we don't believe in the changes and we think that these programs should be separate and we fought for that. And um, things have definitely settled down now a bit and our program is back to um, at least our training and, and everything like that is back to what it was before. Um, there's still some missing pieces uh, financially and program wise. We're still missing some staff members, but uh, you know, we're, like I said before, we're definitely trending in the right direction. And I, I do believe it brings us closer as a group, but at the same time, you can only imagine the kind of, you know, the, the impact it has, you know, we had, I think the boys only, we only got a, two weeks of, of a preseason in, which was, you know, which is difficult to deal with, especially the demands for sevens. Um, but it was, it was great. Cause you know, the boys, the boys didn't complain once about, you know, they rallied. about they basically rallied together and, you know, yeah. got, uh, and I wasn't on the first couple tours cause I had, uh, I just had my shoulder surgery early September and uh, the boys, having two, two, only two weeks of uh, training actually played quite well on the first couple trips. And uh, um, yeah, it's just, it's nice to have everyone stick together and still around because it is such a special group. And like I said before, I, I think this, this group and this, the, the uh, team of staff we have are, are definitely going places um, not only in the, the coming games and the Olympics as well, but you know, for years to come too. From from what you're describing there, you've got the right ingredients, like a group who is tight knit, they can overcome adversity. There's just so many of the right things there. You've you've also mentioned a couple of times about the great support that the the team has acquired from the outside. I, I'm imagining that means some sponsorships or some um, boosters of some sort. What is that what it's taken to kind of keep this? team uh separate from 15s and going forward aside from what sport canada or um rugby canada would provide financially is that what it's taken as some outside sponsorship yeah partly we're still we're to be honest we're still working on that and uh um it it has been a bit of a difficult process but um you know some of our supporters old rugby players um and uh, we have a support group from Hong Kong as well that runs, uh, you know, some uh, group of guys, uh, uh, Canadian guys from Hong Kong that support us as well. Um, Mel Reeves, who works out of Vancouver as well, has been there since day one for us. And uh, guys like Mark Wyatt and Mike Holmes, uh, uh, Doug Tate from New Vic as well. And, um, you know, this is a group of group of guys that have kind of rallied together and, you know, just wanted to support the program and the players uh, financially which you know in in canada any sporting organization and, and teams and players are all you know it, it always 
piecemealing it, piecemealing it together. Yeah, it's always going to be a struggle. And it's never going to be a perfect world. But uh, um, yeah, we needed to look to the outside to um, get a bit more support because 15s um, seems to be the focus right now for uh, for our for our organization. And you know, that's you know that that's their decision, and that's you know we we can't control that, but what we can control is our group. And you know, some of our supporters have stepped up, and we're still not quite there, but we're um, we're definitely trending in the right direction in that category, and hoping to get a couple more staff members. Uh, into the mix uh, in the not too distant future as well to, you know, something like an S and C coach in sevens, you know, you need, you need one that is uh, fully committed to the sevens program. We have a great S and C coach that oversees both programs, Matt Barr. He's, he's awesome. He's really hey. good. But, um, hey, guess who trained Matt Barr? You did? He, he used to be my assistant. Yeah. Oh, no he, way. He, he worked for me <laughs> yeah. in Winnipeg and he, well, he left BC. Well, he left Winnipeg to go to get his dream job in BC. But then he left BC to go back to Winnipeg to be with his family more. And then yeah. he was uh, drawn back to BC. But yeah, he used to. Yeah. So when I first opened my gym and I had been with a sport institute, he um, he used to uh, work with me. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome! Small world. Yeah. 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 No, he's that, a, he's actually coming on this next tour with us. So we've uh, because we don't have a full time S and C. For just the sevens program, we've been uh, bouncing uh, back and forth between a few different guys, and Matt Matt Barr is actually coming on this next one, and uh, which will be fun. All the guys get along with him, and he's great. So, and he's definitely definitely knows what he's talking about in his uh, in the S and C category, which is awesome. Yeah, and he's he's got a good heart too, so that always helps because he cares about what's going on. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. So I was gonna ask, like, you you've been so positive you're so focused on the future you you have the belief you have the desire you've got the drive um and at the same time being in it as long as you have there has to have been some pretty solid setbacks here and there can you just share with us and especially for the athletes out there listening what have been some of your or one of your greatest uh challenges um Oh, injury wise, um, would have to be, and I was kind of in and out with the Canadian, uh, sevens team at the time when I was at university, I had that injury. It was called osteitis pubis. It's like a pubic yep. synthesis yep. injury. So I had that in the summer of 2009, I think. And, um, and no one, none of the physios or doctors really knew what it was and I didn't really get the proper scanning. So I just kept playing with it. I thought I was just kind of you know, my groin was tight or something oh, like that. Ridiculously painful. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah. I, I played on it for another, you know, four or five months throughout the summer. And it got to a point where I couldn't really even like walk properly without it just being like shooting so pains in my, just in my for groin. The, for the listeners, just for them to get a visual, if they think of the pelvis coming together at one point right in your crotch, yeah. it's, there's a ligament there and that particular ligament can get sprained. But when it's, an osteitis pubis, it can be so much so that the, the ligament is, is pulling on the bone and just creating some really um, uh, chronic inflammation from that, that continual pulling. But it can be from, from your groin muscles, your adductors, pulling on the attachments of that bone, the ligament getting um, irritated or sprained and any of the above. But it's, you can imagine for someone like you, all of the force from cutting or sprinting or anything like that 
but then it gets so bad that you can't even walk. (laughs) And by by that point, like, what are you, what are you thinking? What are you feeling by that point? Like, are you just feeling devastated? uh, Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, I, I, Remember before every game, I'd be like, "Oh, I remember because like Nate and I, Nate's uh, Nate Harry Amos was still playing on the sevens team, you know, one of the best uh, sevens players out there." He, I remember like before games for like the BC Bears, we were I'd just always be warming up. I'd be like, "Man, my groin is tight. I don't know what's going on. A bit painful." And he'd be like, "You're right." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm fine." You get playing in the game, and you can kind of get through it. Um, and at the time, I was kicking a lot too, which obviously creates a lot of uh, um, shearing in the in the groin area. So. It was just, yeah, that whole summer wasn't great. And by the end of it, it was, it got to the point where I was actually, there was actually selections for the men's senior national team, which I had been invited to, but I had to say no. (laughs) I had to say no. And this would have been my first exposure to the men's 15s team. Uh, I said no, because I couldn't, I just, my, my groin got to the point where it was like, it wasn't even a decision. I'm like, man, I have to figure out what's going on with this. So, um, I ended up getting a bone scan. I saw Dr. Pete Dutrois, New Westminster, and he, uh, and the bone scan lit up like a Christmas tree. And he's like, yeah, you have like, it's called osteitis pubis. And you basically, your pubic bone bones are rubbing together and it rubs off the cartilage and it creates this mess. And I'm at the kind of the, the the wrong end of it and um i had three options to either get a shot of cortisone to kind of mask the pain um i could get surgery or i could just rest it um and i thought about it for a bit and i ended up just deciding to rest it just because i had a buddy who had gotten surgery and he didn't actually ever play again um and cortisone didn't make sense so i rested it and it was i was actually off for with no physical physical activity for a year, oh, so so nothing. Yeah, so nothing at all. Um, what did that which, do to you? I mean, there's the physical side of things. I completely get that, but what did that do to you mentally? Um, it, it was definitely tough. It was, um, yeah, there was definitely some dark times, not really knowing what was going on, and I didn't really have any physios that I knew that well, and 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 also that knew the injury too. So I didn't even really know how to fix it as well. So. Um, I was at university at the time. So what I tried to do is just concentrate on other things. Like I couldn't control my injury just because I had to rest. So I decided to, you know, focus more on being like a support for the rugby team. So I do a lot of the help out with a lot of the fundraisers and stuff like that. And I also just concentrated on my schooling as well, just because that was another thing that, you know, I could devote more time to. So um, and I had a lot of really good friends and obviously rugby, you know, you have a great group of people there that, you know, support you too. So, but I mean, at the end of the day, you kind of have to deal with it personally. So there definitely were some dark times where, you know, I wasn't, you know, able to play and do much. And I was waking up in the morning doing these weird, like Kegel exercises and stuff. Cause that's <laughs> honestly, cause that's, that's, that's all I could do. I'd be like walking to class and kind of shifting all weird because I had to walk a certain way. So it wouldn't like start to, just like kicking in the pain and stuff like that. Well, so, welcome um, to the world of a woman who's had a child. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> People look at me so weird when I say Kegels because they're like, what, what do you mean? Like, you're, that's, you're not supposed to be doing those. <laughs> you're just pulling all in. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that, uh, that went on. For, yeah. It was no physical activity and, <laughs> and the doctor actually prescribed, I don't know if this is okay for the podcast or not, but the doctor prescribed no sexual activity for six months, oh, which no. 
I mean, seems crazy, but as it was at a point, it was so painful that it, I actually agreed with them that it probably wasn't the best idea. So, yeah, yeah. Um, wow. I don't know if it was a full six months, but I definitely Were, had to take did you have a, a break from all this. Girlfriend that activity. was. I I didn't. Um, so, <laughs> try, and if you did, try, you probably wouldn't have by the end. Yeah, of the yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. done. Try, try try explaining that to someone as well that your situation, <laughs> then you can't do anything. It was it was interesting to say the least. Yeah. Um, they think it's an excuse that they that you just don't really like them. Yeah, oh, he's not yeah. into me. Is it, yeah, is it me? <laughs> yeah. No, it's my injury. I promise. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. That, that one doesn't go off very well. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I uh, yeah, I was no physical activity for a year, and then I got on with uh, um, an on-field trainer who wasn't the right guy for me, and I was kind of battling through uh, a bit of pain with him for another six months. And then I finally found a guy in Lynn Valley, Nico, uh, Nico Berg, who used to play for the Whitecaps, and uh, he got me back uh, back into shape and got this injury fixed up. It took it took two years at the, uh, after all of it, it was, uh, I think it was just shy of two years. Um, the whole, the whole thing. And, um, but I was able to come back and play with UBC and, uh, I had a couple injuries right when I came back just because I hadn't played for a while. I yeah. think I pulled my, pulled, pulled my hamstring and, uh, and, and tweaked, uh, my groin or something like that or pulled my groin. But other than that, I was back into the swing of things, which was, uh, which was awesome. So a, yeah. a couple of things there. First of all, what was the difference between Nico and the other guy that made the key difference for you? Um, the other guy was pushing me through pain, which he said was okay. But with an injury like that, it, it, it no. definitely is not. Um, yeah. And Nico was different where I was started with all my floor exercises and it was no pain at all, but just working the small muscles, um, and this, the, all the muscles that support it because, you know, everyone thinks, okay, it's a pubic injury, but it's actually everything around it. That your hip flexor, it, your glute med, your, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if that isn't firing and strong and you have all those little muscles working, working and if they're not, then that's going to create some type of instability or um, imbalance. You know, one, yeah. imbalance as well, which is exactly what causes that kind of injury. Yeah, and, and I imagine that this entire ordeal, you're looking at basically two years of your life. Do you think this has really set you up for the kind of drive, vision, and um, positivity that you have now? Like, had you not had that experience, do you think that you'd be able to persevere the way you are now? Um, I, I, definitely think it, I definitely think it helped. Uh, I think it, you know, there are definitely some silver linings in there that it taught me how to uh, take care of my body and not take things for granted. Um, and also, also taught me that you're, you're one injury away. Any, any athlete, I don't, it doesn't matter if it's a contact and non-contact sport, you're one injury away from being done for the rest of your life and having to retire. So it's just, you know, being in the moment and enjoying every single day. And I, I think, I definitely think it helped me, uh, pushed me, uh, through other other shorter term injuries, um, and also probably prevented a lot of injuries because I, you know, the rehab and prehab stuff is something that is part of my daily regime. You appreciate and, uh, more now. Yeah, exactly, and I think it, it it helps you become a better athlete as well. Yeah. Yeah, force force the professionalism in your warm ups, probably, and all that prep and, yeah, exactly. and maintenance is. Yeah, it's, it becomes a requirement. So mm, yeah. when it when it comes to your you know, we know what you want. You want a medal at the Olympics. You know what you're going for. You're very clear. But aside from your main goal and the professionalism, what are some of the 
pranks, the goofy stuff, the stuff that goes on behind the scenes with the team. Can you give us a little behind the scenes story or two? And, and, for, and for bonus points, if it involves Connor Trainer, who introduced us to you, I'll award oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, the, the ones with Connor, are, I, I don't know if those ones are appropriate for, uh, appropriate for uh, this podcast. But, I mean, there are, there are some funny ones where one wasn't actually even on tour with Connor where he was on uh, <laughs> he was on this was a few years ago now but because he's got a he has, he has a girlfriend now so it wasn't recently but uh, I think he was on a t- tinder or one of those apps he was on one, a date with a girl and two or three of the boys heard about this oh. and actually went <laughs> found him in found him in a coffee shop and they just pretended like they didn't know him and would sit like literally right next to and the, and the girl oh had no idea right oh so, <laughs> they'd be sitting there and he's just trying to hold his laughter and because he's just like two or three of his buddies are sitting around him um so there's been a few of those more recently they, they call it like catfishing and i think we were on tour and one of the one of the guys on the team, one of the, one of the guys, I don't know if this, this might be getting a little bit out of hand, but one of the guys created a, a fake account or something like that and actually got one of the other guys on the team. That's started, catfishing. Started, That's started catfishing. chatting. Yes, fake accounts. Yeah. Started chatting with them and, uh, and uh, oh told him to come down for coffee in the hotel lobby and he ended up coming down and the boys were just sitting there looking at him for a while and then came over and he started losing it. <laughs> Oh man, so there, there's definitely some other ones that uh, I don't know if I can I can share for I'll, I'll share with you guys once we finish the podcast. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, let's uh, if there's let's let's wrap up with a few other quick questions so people can get to know you a little bit better. Um, so if you had to if you had to give say a tip to some young rugby players just getting into the sport, really getting uh, better and they want to go further with it. What would be your best tips for those young players? Um, I think one of the biggest things is just to understand what your competitive advantages are as a player. Um, Everyone has two or three things that really kind of stand out uh, from everyone else. And I think just understanding what you can bring to a team and really just focusing on that because I mean, at the end of the day, players aren't good at every single facet of the game, right? I mean, you ever, everyone's pretty solid at it, but they'll have two or three things, whether they're a really strong ball runner or great at kickoffs or, you know, they just have that X factor kind of like Connor trainer does. Um, just understanding what, what you can bring to the team and just, and do, doing just that, you know, um, our coach always says, you know, there is there people say there is no i in team but there is you know it's yeah. i will do my job for the rest of the players and i i firmly believe that um for me it's i always try and be the fittest guy on the on the team uh and on the field as well when we're playing any other team and uh that's something where you know i was i was never the most i was a pretty small small kid growing up so i was never the most uh uh I was never the strongest or, or the, the, the fittest kid growing up. But I just said, you know, those are the things that you can control. Um, and so one of the biggest things for me was just being, being the fittest guy on the field. And that, all that takes is some hard work. I mean, there's, you know, there's no two ways around it. If you work hard and put in the time, you, you, you can get fit and, uh, and, and strong as well. Um, and the other thing, too, is just working on basic skills. So many times you see new guys come in and they just can't pass off both hands or, you know, some of the fundamental skills are just lacking a little bit. Um, I think th- those things you can control, right? I mean, don't worry about the things you can't control. 
just uh, focus on the simple things and uh, and put the time in as well, because I mean, it'll, it'll end up paying off. It might not happen overnight, but uh, you know, for me and for anyone listening that's a young player, like I didn't just jump into the Canadian team and play every single game with the sevens team. I was riding the bench for a decent amount of time. You know, when I was at UBC, I'd, I'd get called up here and there and, you know, I'd maybe get a couple minutes in each tournament, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, it's not a lot of fun. It took me a bit of time to understand what I brought to the team. And uh, once I figured that out, I really just worked hard at it and uh, everything else ended up taking care of itself. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to steal a question that Kari might ask. <laughs> uh, you mentioned that you want to be the fitness guy, fitness guy on the team and on the field. What's the hardest workout, if you could describe it, that you've <laughs> maybe been in? And also favorite exercise as well, or favorite workout to do? Um, hardest exercise would probably have to be, we used to run this thing called the SAT. It was with our, uh, it was a, with one of our older, old coaches. And it's basically this test where you run this, uh, it's uh, a bit of agility and then a bit of longer distance sprinting. And you do, I think it's uh, six or eight reps of it. It doesn't sound like a lot, but you have to do it as fast as you can. And uh, you go, you go through it twice and it is a, all the guys would be so nervous for it mm-hmm. in the mornings. It would just be, it's something that you just don't look forward to. And it was our standardized fitness test. And it was different than the yo-yo because you had to do a lot of up downs as well. Yep. So it would be, all the guys would just be, it would be close to blacking out at the end of it. Like, honestly, I've like some of the times I just collapse at the end of it and it's kind of gets a little bit dark. But is, and, it, uh, is it the chest to the ground at every end cone? Yeah. yeah. So you go, you, you, you start in your stomach, you go around the first cone that's five meters away and yeah. you, you backpedal and you do a down up and then you do that again. Yeah. So I, and then you go through a bit of a slalom course and then all the way back. And then you go through that twice. I had to run uh, each, a couple of the guys through that because they needed to test on it before heading to the national program. And so yeah. we were, and, and it's, it's a puker. It's just the, like you're, you're so it's the anaerobic lactic and you know, you're just dead. You're either crying or puking by the time you're done. <laughs> yeah. Or blacking out. Yeah. Two. Oh no. It's, uh, I mean, it's, I mean, and if you're not, if you're not ending up, you know, feeling like you're going to puke or something like that, you probably had a, had a couple, couple extra reps in you. So, totally. Um, yeah. 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 So that's definitely the, one of the, one of the worst fitness tests, but I, I weirdly kind of like those tests just because <laughs> it's, I love the, I love the competitiveness of it. And it's always, you yeah. know, weeks in advance, I'd be thinking about it, you know, getting my like hydration right and eating the right things just because it was like, you know, I just got kind of excited and the, the competitiveness of it is, is awesome as well. I know, I know Connor Trainer hated that one. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know yeah. he hated well, that his, one. His yeah. aerobic fitness was the stuff he didn't like to train for. So, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's good to hear your attention to detail because that's, the, those are the signs of the professional after years of practicing and really understanding what your body is fine-tuned to to respond the best to so where you're the timing of your eating the hydration the knowing how fit you are going into that you can almost predict what your results are going to be because you know how fit you are you know exactly where you're at so those are those are really really awesome things to have um what about uh, what's a little thing about you that maybe most people don't know? Maybe it's a quirk, uh, something unique, a habit, whatever. But anything that's some most people might not know about you. Besides, you love a kegel. <laughs> You're doing them <laughs> well, right that, now, that's, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's probably one of them. Well, to be, on, on a, a quick side note, I have this uh, because of those. Uh, 
uh, groin exercise I have to do, I have to use this um, this piece of equipment. It's called the Core X. You know that thing with uh, it attaches to your wrists and your knees, and then it goes the band. It's like Is a it bungee. Yeah, it's a bungee thing, and it, and it creates like an X from your knee, knees to your hands, yeah. and there's an like orange ball in the middle, and it looks like a like a weird like sex toy. So when I had to start using that, bring out training, the game. Yeah, well, you, you, you can imagine, you know, a group of rugby guys, the amount of ridicule I get from from all the boys when I'd be doing these weird little exercises. They're looking at me all weird. <laughs> You're oh. starting a new trend. It's just going to be normal among rugby teams now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but what, what don't people know about you besides the strange, your stuff? strange toys, um, your strange well, unusual toys? I, I know I, I, I talked about my, maybe it's not, a per, it's not a completely a personal thing, but um, I'm, I'm a family guy and I'm super close to my family. And I mentioned how I have two older twin brothers. I actually have two younger twin sisters as well. They're both identical. Whoa. And then I have another younger sister as well. So that's a big that's family. Something, yeah, yeah, six of us. And it's, it's pretty unique and it's, you know, fun and exciting. And uh, I, whenever I mention that, people just go, what, like, that's crazy. Two sets of identical twins in the same family doesn't happen too often. So. so what do the brothers and the sisters and the other one do now? Are they in sports or what are, what are they up to? Um, ben and Charlie, my two older twin brothers, are not. They they got to age grade national level, and then they both had some pretty tough injuries. Ben had three ACL injuries. Uh-huh. Charlie had Charlie had, Charlie had an ACL, a really nasty spiral fracture in his ankle, and then he actually had osteitis pubis as well. So both of them, among some other things as well, but both of them, the, the de- decision was made for them fairly early in their mm-hmm. athletic careers because they were way better than I was, to be honest. They were so good. Um, but just through injury that has got a little bit unlucky. So they're both working right now um, and doing really well. My two youngest sisters, Amy and Sophie, played uh, field hockey at, uh, at a high level, both at UBC and won a bunch of uh, national championships. And uh, Nell played field hockey as well, not as, uh, not as, at, as high of a level. But, um, you know, there was obviously the athletic gene runs through all the kids in our family, which is uh, – which is pretty cool. And it was always fun for me to go and watch Amy and Sophie play at some of these national championships. Like, and they, they played one, it must've been uh, two or three years ago now at UVic where they played, where they're playing UVic and down three, one, I think with uh, hardly any time left. And they ended up winning it. And I was, you know, I've never been so proud of my sisters. They're both, uh, yeah, it was such That's an exciting cool. thing and to be able to watch them because they watched me so much. And it was, uh, yeah, it was really cool. That's amazing. Um, what about uh, something like a favorite food or dessert? What do you what do you have that way? Oh man, I ju- <laughs> um, Ben and Jerry's ice cream oh, was my yeah yeah that was I've I've had to wean which, off of it which a little flavor? bit. Uh, there's one. It was um, a peanut butter half baked was my, oh my kind of go to. And there was another one. I think it was called like "If I Had a Million Flavors," which is <laughs> it's basically all just like pe- like chocolate peanut butter. Uh, vanilla and chocolate ice cream, anything like that. I was just like, oh, wow. I, you know, it's game over. But I've had to slow down on that a little bit because <laughs> of, you know, where things are heading right now. Yeah. So I'm, uh, uh, you know, just trying to stick with a few few healthier options. But if uh, that's one of my sneaky treats, if, uh, you know, I have a, have a day off and after a long training day. And what about uh, favorite movie or type of movies? Ooh, Shawshank Redemption, without a doubt. Nice. It's, uh, it's yeah, uh, it's, it's a good one. It's it's becoming a really good classic. So I have to go with that one. Absolutely. What about a book? Yeah. Um, oh, that's a good one. Um, 
I would have to go with The Alchemist, actually. Oh, uh, yeah, that was yeah. a good one. It, it, this, a really good mindset yeah. after that. Yeah, Yeah, I think, and for anyone like that's read it once, read it a second time. My Our analyst, Callum Ramsey, got me to, he was saying how he's read it like five or six times. Yeah. And I read it three years later uh-huh. than the first time I read it, and I had a completely different perspective yeah. on on things, which is really cool. Cause, so cause I mean, you've I, changed and it just, it, it changes your experience with the, with the book. Yeah. N- yeah. It, uh, it's definitely a thought provoking book. So I thought, and it's obviously fairly popular. So, I mean, I gave it a second read. I'll probably give it a third in a few years. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> can you, uh, this might be a deep question for you, but let's, let's say you're done rugby and you're done, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're towards the end of your life. I don't know here, but what, what would you want your legacy to be, whether it's rugby related or life related? What do you want your legacy to look like? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I think something that I've started to uh, talk a lot about is um, transitioning athletes from sport to life after sport. I think that, um, you know, everyone sees the the glamorous, you know, uh, playing on a, the world stage in front of thousands of people at Olympics or world games or anything like that. But what a lot of people don't see is, you know, this, the, the day in day out struggle that a lot of people go through. And, uh, and especially when you transition and that loss of identity um, and something that I haven't gone through, but I've really wanted to expose myself to people that have gone through it. And uh, I've quite recently um, been on the panel of a few different events where I've been able to speak about it. And uh, I just would like to be able to give back in some way and help others. Um, obviously, I haven't gone through it yet, but I'm trying to prepare myself for that transition. Um, just because I think it's such a vol- volatile time um, as far as not only personal identity, but just trying to find a new, um, you know, new goals and a new vision um, and just being able to take care of yourself, whether it's physically or mentally. I think obviously a lot of people are fairly outspoken about it, things that they go through anxiety, depression, or serious injury. And I think that's something that, you know, there's not enough exposure for athletes right now. And if I could in some way help when I'm done and leave some type of legacy where there is some type of pathway or um, medium for people to go to, to talk about whether it's education or, you know, mental issues, or even just, you know, working on, working on, uh, just your athletic ability as well. I mean, whatever it is, um, I think it's such a, I, th- I think it's such a great talking point and something that we, we should be doing a lot more of. So, I mean, just staying involved in something like that would be pretty cool. That, yeah. that just, you know, makes our hearts sing because, you know, that's, those are some of the reasons why we started this. And, um, you know, we would, we would love to work with you in the future on anything that you pursue, because this is such a, a topic near and dear to our hearts and helping athletes. For sure. For sure. So. No, I'd, I'd definitely love to stay, stay in touch and, uh, you know, work on things in the future for sure. Um, well, anything else you guys want to add as we wrap up? Oh man, I, we've been talking about almost everything under the sun. So I don't think there's, <laughs> I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. You know, I really enjoy talking about this and, uh, you know, even if it, even if this helps one person, you know, uh, you know, think about, you know, whether it's their transition or something about uh, what they're doing athletically right now. I mean, it's, uh, that's a win in my book. So I just want to say thank you for opening up the, up the opportunity for me. And Harry, we want to say thank you to you for your persistence and helping make this happen. This was try number three to get the recording <laughs> done. Dude, uh, 
iCloud issues and last minute practices yeah. and things. So thank you for making the time for us. And we really want to thank you because we know that you are inspiring that next generation of players that, you know, just you look at that event that went on in BC just a few weeks ago. There's, you know, how many kids in the crowd seeing that and being exposed to high level, the highest level of rugby sevens in the world and just the atmosphere. And it's, it's inspiring for people to see, do what you do and do it with the class that you do it with and the way you stand up for your teammates. And that just uh, exudes from your entire team and group. So we, you know, again, thank you for making the time, especially before the trip. And we're wishing you best of luck in Hong Kong. That's the 5th to the 7th of April. Catch it on CBC Sports. Uh, online will be streaming and in Singapore on the 13th and the 14th as well. Thank you so much, Harry. You are so inspiring and we're so grateful to have this time with you. Awesome. Thanks so much for making it easy for me too. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. All right. I'll see you guys. Thank you so much for listening. To get more support in living your best life, find us in our free Facebook community, Empowered Top Performers. We're on Instagram at Paul Durden and at Empower Conditioning. Please share this podcast and rate us. A five-star review would mean the world to us. That is how we connect with and support more people to excel in sport and life. Take what you learned today and try it. Progress is perfection. 